Jimelang Avusheni and hello, hi, Mzanzi. Welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a No Hold Spot podcast that is proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. I'm your host, Nolutando Ngakani, and I'm here to hold your hand as you seek the answers to those crackling bones and suspicious bumps and lumps you dare not speak of in public. Mzanzi, blood saves lives. And blood recipient Zuki Swampoka, a deputy principal from Bloemfontein, is here to share how blood donation saved her life. You actually needed a blood donation. Can you then tell us what was the medical reason that you needed blood from a donor? What happened is in 2019, I just got a pain in my stomach. I thought it's something that is going to end soon, but it persisted. As a result, I went to the doctor. The doctor suspected appendix and other things, but he referred me to a specialist. And then the specialist did some tests because the pain was getting more. And then the doctor suspected a tumor in my tummy. And then I went for a colonoscopy. And then it was confirmed today that I'm having a tumor that is growing in my intestine. So I had to be operated on immediately. I was really, really sick. So I was operated on, it was a major operation. It went well. So as I was engaging with the doctor, he told me that I had to get blood. I needed blood for me to survive. That went well. I got out of hospital. And then I think two or three months later, I started to feel uncomfortable in my tummy again. I went back to the doctor. I had to be operated on again because the first operation was my muscles didn't get together to hold everything inside my tummy. So I had to be operated on again. So around October, I got another operation, almost on the same scar. It was very traumatizing for me, but I survived that one again. And then as I was sitting alone, being told by the doctor that uh, one of the reasons why I survived is that I got blood. So it touched me a lot. I then decided I was donating blood before that, but I was not so serious about it. And then I just decided, you know what, if somebody out there whom I don't know saved my life. And I decided, why can't I do it? I just decided I must just commit myself to giving blood. So it went on and on, and I'm still doing it up until today. As I was engaged with the people from blood donation, I was like, why don't you come to schools to do this? And then they said, they, uh, in other schools, they do it. And I said, I can also do it. I'm a deputy principal. Then I invited them to come. So our school is one of the schools that is our learners are donating blood. I'm a leader of that project. I have a team of learners. The others come and then when they finish school, they go somewhere. But I have their conducts. If they are able to come on the day that the clinic is coming to our school, I call them to come and, and donate blood. So it's a passion for me. With the pandemic and things like that, how have you managed to kind of also facilitate the project? Do they come when you call them and say, like, here's the clinic, 
Well, the clinic is here. Will you guys come? Yeah. To- How does it work? <laughs> Most challenging. After the pandemic, I don't know, a fear of some kind. Not many of the learners are coming. It takes a lot of convincing for them to come. It's unlike before the pandemic. I didn't work so much to get them to come and donate because the SANBS would send someone to come and do, and do an education of some kind just to tell the learners what is this all about, why they should do it. So they would come and do that, but... I'm telling you, after the pandemic, many of the learners are very reluctant to, to donate blood. It takes a lot out of me and this other teacher was assisting me. But they never come to our school and don't get learners. But it's just that the number is not as high as before. Aside from the learners, you said that you took it upon yourself because you've already seen you know, what blood donations can do for people's health. Like, what are some of the stigmas that people kind of have against donating blood? Why don't they want to donate? I don't get many of them. So difficult. Others would be saying, yo, I'm afraid of the needle. I'm sick. All those kinds of excuses. The most prominent one is, oh, I'm afraid of the needle. And I'll be like, it's just a small angina pinch. You won't feel so much pain. But I don't know why is it that, more especially the adult, only a few of my colleagues would donate, but in most of them, I, that reluctance is, is there really. How do you think we can kind of get rid of that reluctancy and get people mm. to donate blood? The donated blood has done amazing things for you. and It has. More education is needed. My approach would be more on the learners, but I think there is a need for the adults as well. I think more education because, like I was telling the other colleague of mine, You know, if you donate blood, they test the blood so that even if you're not aware that you are sick one way or another, but through donating blood, they manage to detect whatever sickness that you may be having and you are not even aware of. So hence I'm saying, I think the best solution is more education to the adult group, not only concentrating more on the learners, but to the adults as well. How has blood donation then benefited your health? I'm 50 years old, by the way. On the 10th of June, I'll be turning 51. <laughs> I forgot to mention that. This thing of lack of iron, not having enough iron in your system, for me, it really helped a lot because I remember one time I was donating and then they must test you to check if your iron level is up to standard for one to donate. So this time they said to me, no, no, ma'am, unfortunately this time you won't be able to donate because your iron leg. I was like, you know, most when you are at this age of mine, every little thing you are afraid because you don't want to get sick. I jog, I walk, all those things, trying to keep myself healthy. So for me to be told that, hey, watch out, you must eat more of this. They even gave me iron pills. So it benefits me a lot because at least they manage to detect whatever that is not correct in my body. In high school, they also used to send sun-ups to our mm. school and I was always told that I'm iron deficient. <laughs> yes. yeah. <laughs> On the days that I, I could donate blood, I always fainted. After they finished, I always used to faint. I love it. And the fact that there are those small anyana gifts 
that you get. Ah, it's a cherry on top. The learners, ne? at least you'll get that. Uh, there's a juice, there's biscuits, that gift, you know. They always bring us gifts. So even the gifts, it's putting a cherry on top, you know. I love it, really. Anything for my country. Anything that a difference in somebody else's life. Did you know that only 1% of Mzanzi's population are active donors? Kinsani Mshangu is the communications officer for the South African National Blood Services and shares details of the process and what it takes to be a healthy donor in Mzanzi. The South African National Blood Services is a non-profit organization that is licensed to provide blood transfusion services to the country. Kinsani, we're in a pandemic. We've been given these vaccines and prevent getting infected by COVID-19. Can you tell us how do vaccinations then affect blood donation? Do they have any kind of impact? In terms of the current vaccinations that are being rolled out, we are confident. We usually follow directive from the World Health Organization. And at this point, it has been deemed safe for blood recipients to receive blood of individuals who have been vaccinated. While there is talk in the media and all of that, that we don't have sufficient research to back that up or to substantiate any need to stop them taking blood from a vaccinated donor. So at this point, it is completely safe to receive blood from anyone who has been vaccinated or even anyone who hasn't been vaccinated. All our blood really does go through the regular testing. It's intensive testing for each unit of blood that is received. Yesterday, I was writing an article about a lady from KZN who had donated 117 units. And when you think about it, you can only donate about four times a year. So she is a committed donor. So every unit of blood is tested hers thoroughly, even if it's 117 donations or even if it's your first donation, we do thorough processing of each unit of blood. How much blood is actually in that bag? Because it looks like a lot of blood. It's about 480 mils, so just a little under 500 mils. I donated blood quite a lot when I was in high school, but I'd always feel faint afterwards. That made me scared to do it. Yes, so I would assume that all the testing would have been done, obviously, because we test everyone. You give you a mini physical prior to your donation. So what we have found is that we need to speak more to blood donors about the importance of nutrition. So Before you donate blood, I think it's very important that you would have had a full meal about four hours. Then while you're sitting there on the chair, we give you refreshments. But also the nurses on site are supposed to check you. They're supposed to make sure you're okay. And if you're not feeling okay, I think that's another thing that we don't talk a lot about is that you need to contact our contact center and say that you maybe had an adverse reaction or anything like that. But nutrition is very important. That usually happens either when you have low iron or if you have not had like a full meal and then your body reacts to that. So the quick fix to that is getting a full meal before you donate blood. Kinsani, can you also tell us, you know, apart from my feeling faint, what are some of the other most common risks of kind of donating blood? Are there any risks associated with blood donation? There could be risks associated. I think what we try to do really with the questionnaire that you fill in prior to donating is eliminate any risk factors. So that's why they will check your blood pressure. They will check your iron levels. They will go through a complete medical history and just to look forward to look ahead rather to what you will be doing in the following couple of days, weeks, months, you know. So 
So there are certain risks associated, but as far as possible, those are eliminated. And the most common one would be the one that you have experienced where you feel faint after donating. Then you just have to sit down for a bit, get some fluids in, even for people who feel completely okay. After donating, you are advised to increase your fluid intake in the 24 hours that follow. And then I think you should be okay. But the risks are not extensive. We do try as far we do try to minimize them as far as possible. Yes, I think that's right. You've briefly touched on, you know, the importance of nutrition before we go and, you know, donate our blood. So then how can donors kind of improve blood health? And what are some tips that you can share for blood donors? We're currently actually running a donor wellness program. So in addition to providing donors with iron tablets, so when you do come in and then we see that your ferritin or iron levels are a bit low, we do have supplements that we do give out to donors to help replenish your iron levels before you come back and donate again. But also just eating a healthy, balanced diet, a diet that is very iron rich, that is the ideal diet for a donor, particularly for whole blood donors. So Increase your iron intake, that would be the spinaches, your beans, your liver. Other than that, I can find out a bit more extensively for you, but a healthy balanced diet, anything balanced really should help in terms of ensuring that you are well enough. But in terms of the wellness program, we are running it on our social media platforms. We're found everywhere as the SANBS, and there we're just giving general information on how donors can take care of themselves, side effects when you can and cannot donate blood, general education as well related to blood donation. So everything you can find there, don't want to give too much away, please do go to our social media pages. We see on the SNBS website that, you know, the blood stocks are this level or they are at three days. What are the realities of the blood shortage then for the SNBS? What I can say at the moment is that fortunately we have not reached a situation where we can't provide safe blood when people are in need. But the reality is that should we reach day zero one day, there is no substitute for blood. There's nothing we can manufacture. There's nothing else that can substitute blood. So in the unfortunate circumstance that at any point we reach day zero, that would mean we can't save lives. And it's not just trauma victims that rely on blood transfusions. Like the majority of the time you think you're in an accident and you need a quick transfusion. But it's also for cancer patients, people who are undergoing treatment, cancer treatment for surgeries that are planned. That would also affect surgeries as well. If there's no blood, then they can't operate. There are people with chronic illnesses like anemia, like thalassemia. There is a range of chronic illnesses that people suffer. And in the absence of transfusions, either of blood, platelets, or plasma, these people are not able to lead regular lives. This is something that a lot of us take for granted. And some are hospitalized frequently if there's none of that. I have a friend also who had an organ transplant. What happened was Musa is that his organs started to fail. The only treatment that was available just to help his kidney stay functional in the body was to receive plasma transfusion, something that a lot of us don't even know about or don't even think about. So blood has very many different uses. It's used in medication as well. If we didn't have blood, that means life would come to a halt for a lot of people. 
Because I know, you know, people, when we tell them that there's a shortage, they're always just like, you know, what does that have to do with me kind of energy? They always say someone else will donate. And an interesting fact is that only 1% of the country caters to the supply, the need that is for the rest of the country. So only 1% of South Africans are active, dedicated blood donors, giving enough blood to ensure that everyone stays healthy. There's a very big weight to put on just such a small portion of the population. Especially with organ donation, we work quite closely with individuals who advocate for organ donation. What a lot of people fear is that if I give my blood or if I give my organ, then someone else can use it against me. And I think this is something that we're all very aware of. Blood is only as you donate it, as you see it in the blood bag. We can only store it for a period less than two months, if I'm not mistaken. So that would be an instance where we would have to discard a unit of blood because after that, then it is completely unusable. That would be the one instance. And you would have to donate a minimum of three times before we can use your whole blood to give to a patient. But before that, then we can separate that unit of blood into its three components and use just one or two components out of that. But we wouldn't use then the red blood cells. As it is Youth Month now as well, we are targeting the youth. We want to grow that donor base because unfortunately every year we lose a great portion of our donor complement. This will be the older people who are aging and then they develop other illnesses and they can't donate blood anymore. So June is one of those months where we A, thank donors, B, try to recruit new and young donors particularly. Because I know the SANBS used to visit high schools most now to also go and collect blood there. But with COVID, I'm sure that's also been kind of impact, hasn't it? High schools as well as corporates is where we collect a bulk of our blood. So we host many mobile blood drives and those bring in more blood than from the fixed donor centers. And having been kept out of that space for a long period of time has really affected our blood stocks. But as I said, as the COVID a situation has really improved. We are now getting back into those spaces where we're able to collect the blood from the youth. It's getting better, but it's important because that's where we recruit donors. We educate the donors and we want to start them young to commit to this as a lifelong thing. And it really has impacted us very negatively being unable to get into those spaces. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Zuki Swa and Kinsani. For more on Mzanzi's blood woes, check out healthformzanzi.co.za. And remember, if you are in a medical bind and looking for a shoulder to cry on, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za or you can hit us up on WhatsApp on 076-132-0454. I would never blue tick you, babes. Blood is life, and Dracula has always been right on the money in terms of what blood means. Thousands of patients would die daily if there is insufficient quality blood in stock. When one donates blood, they give patients the gift money cannot buy or science cannot create. A unit of blood can save up to three lives as blood is separated into red blood cells, plasma, and platelets. That brings us to the end of episode 45 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Health from Zanzi. From me, Nolu Tandungakani, have a great week. And remember to show your girl some love by sharing this podcast with a friend.